You know, when you're sick, you probably shouldn't worship really loud and as hard as you can. Um, My name is Kate, and I'm one of the pastors here at Jubilee. And as you can tell, I have been sick over the last week. I teach sixth grade science. And kids in sixth grade aren't necessarily like the cleanest at that age. Um, So at the start of the year, this has now happened. And I went back and forth on if I was going to speak this weekend, just not sure. If, if I had the strength or energy to do it, I haven't been feeling very well. But I just felt like God had a word, and he was like, I'll give you the strength for this. And then in the middle of worship, church, the, there, this is for a person. This is for a people. This is a word for you this morning. And I'm not just saying that because I'm up here. I really, truly believe like I mustered all my strength to be able to get up here and talk to you about this. So the title of my message this morning is called Trust Your Faith, Not Your Feelings. Trust your faith and not your feelings. And I think right now we live in a world that there's a lot of, this is how I feel, right? A lot of um, decisions being made based on what you feel like. Or if it makes you, what's that wonderful word we just hear all the time? If it makes you happy, right? If you're happy, then certainly that's the thing that you should be pursuing. And the second it makes you unhappy, flee from it, right? But biblically, that is not the life we were called to live. We were called to live a life of faith, and sometimes living in faith is tricky, and sometimes living in faith is hard, and it can be tiring. A couple uh, months ago, our kids go to this really awesome Christian school, and so they sent out this newsletter, and there's two types of parents, okay? There's parents who read newsletters. Hi, me, right? I I know every link to everything. I know everything on their website. I think I know more about that school than some of the teachers that are at that school. I'm like, I know all the things. I know I, that's there, there, you know, raise your hand if you're a me, right? Like, you know, all the information there is to know. And then there's people, there's parents who don't read newsletters and they marry people who do read newsletters. <laughs> JJ, you know, I went through, I was looking at something on his phone last night and we were looking at an email and I looked and I was like, you have every newsletter for the last year in your inbox. Like you didn't open any of them. He goes, no, hmm. I have you. I'm like, I'm not telling you stuff anymore. I want you to read the newsletters. He sees nothing. All grades that come in, like all things. I'm like, did you see that? And he goes, no, what's happening? I'm like, hello, the newsletter. How can you not want to be in the know of what's happening at the school? Anyway, they send out, they send out these instructional things with it, or a lot of times, um, just like encouragement for parents. And so they sent out an article at the beginning of one of these newsletters, and it was um, talking about the idea that your feelings cannot be trusted. And it was this whole psychiatrist who, who was explaining, like, people who come in, and so much of what he's dealing with right now is this whole idea of emotions and feelings and all these things. And this isn't, if I can clarify really quick, this is not me um, it, not validating what you feel. Because obviously, like, we feel. God created us to feel. God created us to go through all the emotions that we're given, and they're, they're for a purpose. I mean, we, we experience fear, and we experience anger, and we experience gladness and all of the things in between, right? And so I'm not saying just shove them down and forget about them. That is definitely not what this message is, but to recognize that our feelings cannot always be trusted. And so the example that he gives in this article is he he brings up the idea of fear. And he talks about how if you're walking down a dark alley in a shady part of, let's say, Denver, right? And a guy starts walking towards you with a knife, you're instantly, what emotion are you going to feel? Fear, right? And is it valid in that moment? Yeah, 100%, obviously. And that is where fear is this incredible thing. It's the, it's the thing that gets adrenaline pumping in our body. It's the thing that you hear these incredible stories of mothers who lift up cars to save their babies, like all these things. It's that fear that gets the adrenaline going and allows us. It's self-preservation, right? So there's a great part of that emotion. But then he brings up the idea that let's say that exact same scenario is happening, but you wake up and it comes from a dream. And in the exact same way, you feel the exact same emotion, right? You feel fear out of that thing. And your body cannot tell the difference between the two. 
it feels fear. It feels afraid. Or let's say you're watching a scary movie and something pops out at you. I'm a Hallmark fan. JJ and I were laughing about this last night. Like that kind of, uh-uh. Like I'm not, life is scary enough. I'm all about the Hallmark. Like it's called, it's fall in love right now. I'm there. Like here I am, Fallmark. Like I'm waiting till Saturday night at six o'clock putting the kids to bed and we're watching Fallmark, okay? Like it's great. This is, this is where I'm at, not the scary jump out movie parts because I don't want, I feel enough fear. I have enough issues in my life. I don't need that. But you feel the same emotion, right, from a scary movie. But there's only in one of those scenarios is the fear actually valid, right? You're feeling fear in all three situations, and yet in only one of those are you actually in real danger. And this is the whole thing. And we're, I think right now as a culture, we're chasing this, this thing that is so fleeting. Happiness is so fleeting. It really is. And that's not, I, I totally believe that we, we experience joy. But life, it's not, you know, he, he talks about in the article, we equate that we're doing life wrong if we feel any pain. And that is not true. <laughs> Part of the fallen world is we're going to experience pain and we're going to experience sadness and we're going to experience hard things. But the greater question is what do you do when those hard things hit? Where is your faith in that moment? Are you trusting your feelings or are you trusting your faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of realities not seen. There's all these realities that are happening that we can't see. And what are you putting your faith in right now? What you can see or what you know to be true? It goes down further in Hebrews 11:6. It says this, Now without faith it is what? It is impossible. Without faith it is impossible to please God. For the one who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Okay, and so you like look at this and you're like, all right, like I got this down. Okay, I want to equate this. My son, Ezra, he's he, he just started playing tackle football, all right? We, like, dipped our toe in to um, flag football last year. And I'm like, okay, like, I can do this. This is no big deal. Like, fine. You want to play tackle? <laughs> I had someone tell me, they just fall before they're going to get hit. At, he's seven. Like, so he'll be fine. He won't get hit. So I go in with that mindset. They lied, okay? <laughs> you want to know what seven-year-old boys like to do? They like to hit Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ezra tells us last week, uh, we, we come out of his first game, uh, which I watched like this. Like, oh, oh, yeah, go. Oh, I cannot watch that. Cannot watch you getting hit like that. That's why we paid for the $400 helmet that we got because I wanted your head to be safe. Yeah, watching like that, okay? So we get in the car, and I'm thinking I'm going to convince him to go back to flag football. So I go, Ez, <laughs> you're getting hit a lot. They put him on the line. My son is not a big boy, all right? Like, have you seen me? I'm not offering a lot. Have you seen JJ? He's not offering a lot. It's true. That's why we found each other. We're both little. We're just small people. Okay? So as is not, like, he has not inherited these, like, 6'5 genes. This isn't happening in his future. We haven't told him this yet, of course, right? Like, he's going to be sad one day when he recognizes his dad is 5'8 and his mom is 5'2. But for now, he's fine. But he thinks, so we're, he, he thinks, you know, I'm good, I'm a good size. And he, on the line, should, like, this was my understanding. They put big boys on the line, right? Mm-mm, not on our team. Nope, nope, that's not what happened. They put Ezra on the line. He's on the line. He's good, but he's little. And so he's, we're, we're going through all of this and going through the practices. So last week he gets in the car and he, I ask him, I'm like, you totally want to play flag football, right? It's like way better. It's not fun to get hit. He goes, mom, he's seven. Flag football isn't hype enough for me. Hype is not hype enough for you? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. Like, this is, this is where husbands are really great. Because I'm like, why? Why does he want to get hit? Why? Why? Why is that a thing? Like, what is fun about getting smashed to the ground and smashing other boys to the ground? That, that's boys. There you go. Football's been great for him. But 
at our first practice, we had to sign these contracts. And I thought it was for the kids. And the, the coach goes, oh, no, these are for parents to sign. And it's like the code of conduct for parents. And I'm laughing. I'm like, ha, ha, ha. He goes, no, I'm serious. You get fined if you step out of line. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. And I'm mocking this, right? Like, what parent is going to get upset at a football game? Like, okay, this is silly. Well, we had our first football game last week. Um, didn't know I could yell that loud. Maybe that's what this came from. As told me I was the loudest parent on the side. Get him! Knock him down! Jenny's like, what are you like saying? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know the proper words to say in football. Like, hit him hard, kill him. I don't know. I'm not sure. So I'm just like throwing out words that I think. We bought him. He's, he's a sweet kid. Okay, he like asks for permission to, to do everything. He's like not a rule breaker. He like says sorry on the field. Like, thank you. Like, he's nice. He's a nice kid. So we bought him a mouth guard that says savage on it. Because <laughs> I'm like, all right, if you're going to get hit or you have to hit, I'd rather you hit than get hit. So like, come on, let's pull this out of you. But last week at his first football game, all of a sudden, I have, I have watched now my first interaction of a parent getting really angry. This does actually happen. Have you seen this or have you been this, right? This, this is a thing. So this dad on our team, of course, gets really upset. We're not sure he's on the other side or something. And he gets him and the co or him and the ref start going at it. Because apparently, I didn't know this either, all refs are the enemy of the losing team. <laughs> like it's the ref's fault for the kids not doing it right. Like somehow he's cheating, okay? Like that, that apparently is also now a thing. Like I'm playing, I'm catching up to all this. Like I know what a spread is now, right? As plays end, like if, he, if they tell him to spread, that means he gets a chance to catch the football. He was playing guard, I told him get open, and then found out he was not allowed to catch the ball as guard. These are things you don't know if you've never paid attention to football before. Need to shut my mouth probably. Just let the coach you know, coach. But this guy and the ref are like yelling at each other, like in each other's faces, not on the sidelines. Of course not. No, they're in the middle of the field doing this. Okay. Like they are screaming at each other, like, you're not going to talk to me like that. And the guy's like, I want your name and number. You're a cheater, ref. You're a cheater. Blah, blah, blah. Going off and off. And I'm like this. It's like, it's, this is more intense than my Fallmark movies, okay? Like, I needed popcorn. My blood pressure's going up. Like, this is like real life, like, drama happening before my eyes. And the ref goes, you're out of here. The kids can't even play the football game because they're literally in the middle of the children doing this on the football field. <laughs> and so he's like, give me your name. Give me your name. And he's like, my name is Bruce blah, blah, blah. And my number is number ref number 4321. You can contact my bosses at blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I'm not going anywhere. He goes, you're going somewhere and it's not here. He's like, I'm not leaving this field. And then the other coach is involved and he's telling the guy, you're going to make your team forfeit because apparently if the parents don't leave, the kids are the ones who suffer for this. So now we're all like, get off the field, bro. Like I paid $500 this year to watch my son play. Get off the field. Uh-huh. This is, uh, you know, you're laughing because you've been there, right? This is why people were like, are you sure you want four kids? I'm like, yeah, they're cheap. Until <laughs> they're seven and you've spent $1,500 on peewee football. His brother, Milo, five, goes, I want to play football. And I said, no, we don't have money. Mm -mm. We can't afford that, son. We can wait till Ezra goes out of his stuff and then you can play. So this whole thing happens. Finally, the guy like goes down and is yelling from the parking lot. He's left enough. And he's just like yelling at all the parents. And we're just like, we don't, we don't know you. His wife doesn't know him. He walks past her, nothing. She's never seen him before. I'm like, <laughs> I know that's a conversation later in the car. Uh-huh. That's a, that's a deal right there that's going to happen. Okay. So that's so funny, right? And like the emotion that comes out of this guy and this ref and like JJ and I get in the car and laugh about it. And Ezra's like, what happened? And I'm like, I don't know. People are nuts, Ezra. <laughs> uh, so Tuesday night, their practice rolls around. And I was thinking, this guy is also, I should preface, he was also an assistant coach on the team, okay? So he has like duties to the team, as does, I'm pretty sure he became an assistant coach to get his son a pretty big role 
on the team. So his son also has pretty, he, ha, he, would, he was like, I think one of our wide receivers, right? So we've built a bunch of stuff around this kid as well. And so Tuesday comes around and our head coach is like, hey, we need to have a parent meeting. Now, this is the second parent meeting now we've had in a week. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like we had to have one after the meeting, reminding everybody. The guy tried to take it over from the coach and be like, hey, let me just in all transparency to let you know my side of the story. And we were like, we don't, we saw your side of the story. We, we already know. But he tells us, the coach tells us, the family decides to quit after one game. <laughs> And I was just thinking, wow, what a pity that is on all aspects. And maybe for a second, like I was trying to figure out why, you know, why quit? Like you've already paid for this. And maybe it's the whole idea of like, I'm going to stick it to you, right? Because in the moment it feels really good to like stick it to somebody, doesn't it? To be like, I'm going to show you, I'm going to quit and I'm going to make you pay for the thing you've done to me. And for maybe a second, two minutes, there's gratification in that. And then I bet sat to yesterday rolled around and they weren't at the game, you know? And the guy blames it on his son and said, oh, my son's a quitter. And this is just like a thing that he does. He starts things and quits. And I just thought, you're teaching him wrong then. Because like in this world, you will have troubles. But fear not, I've overcome the world. That doesn't mean, all right, Fear not, like it's easy coasting from here. Like you got Jesus, no problem. Mm-mm. Life is hard. And yeah, like maybe for five minutes, that guy would have been embarrassed to show his face around all of us. But isn't it better to walk through the hard thing to get the gratification and the reward at the end? Right? Like his son could have played football yesterday. It would have been over. Like it wouldn't have been a big deal. We would have been forgotten. I think we've so often allow our emotions to make it the biggest thing, the most important thing, the thing that matters most of all. And we are looking at a teeny tiny sliver of what really matters. And so today I want to talk about this woman called Rahab in the Bible, because she's this incredible woman of faith. She's this, she's this woman that just gets it, right? And if we remember correct, Rahab is the one who hides the spies of Israel. Israel's about to come. They've waited in the desert. God's finally like, all right, it's time. It's time to go. It's time to run. And so the first city that they're going to conquer is the city of Jericho. And so that he sends out, Joshua sends out two spies to go and to, to scout the land, to figure it out. And the only person willing to help them is this woman named Rahab. She risks everything. She puts all her faith in this God that she's only ever heard of. And her life is saved because of it, right? She saves the Israelites. She helps them and she aids them. And there's this great thing that happens for her. And so I want to talk about what did she do? Like, how did she do this right? And how can we do this right? So number one, if you're following in your notes, it's this. Have faith in what you hear. Have faith in what you hear. Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Messiah. Faith comes from what? Hearing. Hearing. It comes from hearing. It comes from listening to him. And then holding on to that thing. And, and in Joshua 2, 9, we pick up Rahab's story and sh- this is what happens. And she said to the men, I know that Adonai has given you the land. Dread of you has fallen on us and all the inhabitants of the land are melting in fear before you. And pay attention to this. For we have, for we have heard how Adonai dried up the water of the Sea of Reeds before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. This woman did not see it with her own eyes, church. These are only things she has heard. And she has enough faith in this moment to put all of her faith and all of her trust and her life and her family's life and her descendant's life in this God that she has only heard of. That she has only heard of. 
You know, the soldiers come to her house. They're aware. The, the, the Canaanites are aware that these two spies are at her house or have been at her house. She hides them. And she is so full of faith that she boldly lies to her own people to be able to save these two men that she's never met before. She's willing to give up her God and her culture and her friends and her place of dwelling and her comfortabilities all for this thing that she's heard about. And my question to you today is, would you be willing to do the same thing? Could you bet all that you have on the faith that you've heard of? All that you know and all that you live for, for your family's life. I mean, it's one thing that we risk and we, we're willing to do it for ourselves, but are you willing to put enough trust and enough faith in the God that you've heard about for the sake of your family? For your children and for their children? Because that's what she does, right? She risks it all for that, for knowing, all right, I've heard this and I choose to believe in this. So I want to relate this um, to a story that I've walked through in my own life with this whole idea of faith. And um, I've shared a little bit. There's a lot of new people at our church, which is awesome. So maybe you haven't heard. But a couple years ago, we, JJ and I have four children. And a couple years ago, after the first, after the first two boys, I got pregnant and I miscarried. Um, and it was really, really hard and really uh, faith-building maybe faith walking, going through that. It wasn't just, you know, it's so easy to hear people. I think the one thing I hear all the time when people give me feedback or come up to me and talk about uh, when I preach, they're like, you're so vulnerable. You're so real up there. And I think I'm like, well, yeah, because what's the point of being up here and painting this picture that like everything's great? Like you're not gonna learn from that. And it's just not true. And a lot of pastors, I think, not here. I mean, I think we're so blessed with pastors who are so real and so honest. Pastor John, right? Obviously. He's great. He's always real with us. But a lot of places paint this idea that like the pastors are untouchable. And then I think we sit down and we listen to messages and we feel so discouraged, right? Because it's like, oh, I'm the only one struggling. But here's the truth. We all struggle and we all go through hardships. You down there and me up here. And this was one of those times, and it wasn't like, God, you know, it's fine. No problem. It was, God, I'm shattered, and I am hurt, and what the heck are you doing right now? So the week I miscarried, it was August of um, 2018 is when I miscarried. And so the way I work through a lot of stuff is I like to journal. I think God really speaks to me like that. If you have a hard time listening or hearing his voice, I think writing, just God, what do you want to speak? And just like beginning to write really allows the Lord to move and to speak. And you'll go back and be like, oh my gosh, wow. Like you spoke that? It silences everything else because it makes you focus on the thing you're doing. So I wrote this. God, I feel so sad tonight about our lost baby. It's hard to mourn for something you never knew and all the potential that was there. So instead of wallowing in the pain, I want you to speak to, with me tonight. Would you please give me promises to hold on to in the midst of all this pain? So here's what I feel like he um, says back to me. You will hold another baby in your arms. That baby will be a fulfillment of all the desires of your heart. The baby's middle name will be Anchor because it represents the safe end to a long journey. You will have a safe end to a long journey. I will restore what's been taken from you. I am a redeemer, and though there is pain now, it will only last for a little while. Hold on to me and the promises I have given you. Lean into me in the middle of the sadness. Though the enemy intended evil, this testimony will catapult you into your calling. And every chance, church, I get to share this word of what God has done in my life. I take it because there is power in our testimony. 
By this time, all right, so this is what then the Lord tells me, this really specific promise. By this time next year, you will be laying in bed with your sweet babe. That child will always be a reminder of my faithfulness, a reminder that even in your hardest hour, you can trust in me, and you most certainly did. I am so proud of you and who you have been through this. I see you as a big, strong mountain. The winds and the rain and the storms have come, but you will not be moved. I love you so much. I've sat with you and held you this week. You felt my peace all around you. Be patient and trust me for just a little while longer. Your beautiful baby is coming. Your rainbow in the midst of a storm. Her name will be Ivory because white is a representation of purity. You will raise her to love me in the same pure and unadulterated love for me. I will use her to do wonders. And don't worry. I have your little one with me now. I met him when he came home to heaven. I held him and I will love him more than you could possibly fathom. You and JJ will get through this. I love you both, and I am so proud of your life for me. And then he gives me the scripture to hold on to. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He will hold you together. He will keep you. Hold on just a little longer. So this word, right? This, this faith, this word, he, I hear this word that he gives me. And in the moment, I think the thing is, when we're told the promise, it's really easy in that second. Like, I felt good right there, right? I get this word, and I'm like, cool. This is happening, like, this month. No problem. But church, this leads to number two. You got to stand in your faith. You hear the word, and that's awesome. It's important to hear the word. It's important to have faith in what you've been told, right? Right? That's the first part of it, but this right here, standing in your faith, this is hard. This is not easy. Joshua 6.25 says this, But Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua spared. She has lived in the midst of Israel to this day because she hid the scouts whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Okay, so we have this story, right? And these spies come and, and she sends them on their way and she goes this way and you come back and he, they tell her, tie red on your door and we'll know to spare you and all of this, okay? But there's an in-between time for this woman. They leave, there's no cell phones, right? There's no PO boxes to send letters to. She hears this word, she hears this promise, and all she's left with is holding on to it. And there's silence in between. And a lot of times, I want you to hear this. Please hear this. This is for someone right now. A lot of times, we mistake silence for God not being in the midst of it. We mistake silence for, oh, we're outside of God's will. Oh, we're doing the wrong thing. Oh, we're walking the wrong way. And we mistake that silence. And I think what we really need to begin to think is, what was the last thing God told me? Because I need to stand in that thing. God shouldn't have to tell you something twice, church. Your faith should be so steady and so strong in the thing that God has promised you that you can stand firm and wait on him to do the thing he said he's going to do. And sometimes it's hard, right? Because those darn emotions get involved. I am sure in between, Rahab had a thousand thoughts going on, right? Did I make the right choice? Should I put my trust in these men? Am I going to die before they come and get me? Will my people find out? What's it going to be like once I'm spared? Is their God really real? Because I haven't seen this. I'm hoping, but I have risked everything, everything for this one promise of what I've heard. Is 
Ephesians 6, 13 through 14 says this, Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, not if, church, when, when the day of evil comes, you are being deceived if you think because you are struggling that God is not with you and that God is not for you and that God has abandoned you. No, the Bible right here says this. You take up the full armor of God. You prepare yourself. You get ready for battle so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. You will be able to stand your ground. You must have faith then to stand your ground. When the enemy comes and when he tries to lie and when he tries to deceive you, because again, when the day of evil comes, when this does happen, it will inevitably happen. Where is your faith being put? It is easy to follow God when things are good. That is not hard. And I'm going to tell you this, it's not impressive. And I'm not coming after you. Please hear me. But oh, I just feel this urgency that as a church, we must be preparing ourselves right now to be people that cannot be shaken. We must be preparing ourselves that the darker the day grows, the stronger and brighter we stand. And the only way that we get there is we cast off emotion and say, no, this doesn't dictate what happens to me. This doesn't dictate what I'm doing. My faith is the thing I'm going to stand in. So that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And having done everything to stand, stand, stand firm. Why do you think they add that second part? After having to do everything to stand, then stand. Because the greatest place, I think, for failure, the greatest place to give up or to give in is when you're having to wait on the promise. So I got that incredible word from the Lord, right? About this daughter. And in my head, I'm like, all right, God, if you said it, you're going to do it right now. Bam. But if you've ever been given a promise, if you've ever had to stand, you so often know it is not an instant thing that God gives us the promise. Sometimes it takes years. What are you doing in that time in between? Are you like Rahab? Because of me, it took much longer. Our first two came so easily. Even that miscarriage, it was no problem. And then, oh, the time I wanted it the most. The time I had been given this promise, I'd think every single month, all right, this is your month to do it. And in my head, I have this timeline, right? Because he said, he tells me in that promise, at this time next year, you'll be holding your baby. So I'm like, I'm holding you to this, God. And here's what I begin to think. If you don't do it by then, it's not me that's off. It's you that's off. Can I be real like that? My faith is only as good as what you're willing to do for me. So I get to the last month that I'm like calculating. Nine months. God, come on. Let's go. And I remember sitting in my room, church, crying. Because again, emotions are real. God didn't tell me, shut up. Stop it. Church, that was painful. It was hard. And the waiting was maybe harder than the losing of that baby. Because every single month that passed, I would think in my head, I should be this far along. I should be this close to having a baby. And nothing. I have nothing. So I'm sitting in my room and I'm feeling this way and I'm crying. And I get to the end of my rope. And maybe sometimes the most incredible thing is getting to the end of our rope, to the end of ourselves. Because I go, fine, God. Have it all. Fine. Because God, 
if I misheard you, or if this is not how you want to do it, or it looks different than this, and you have a different plan than what I was thinking in my head, fine. Because my faith is not going to be dictated on whether or not I feel like you're good to me. Because you are good in the good times, and you are also as good in the hard times. And my faith will not be moved on whether or not I feel like you're answering what I'm asking of you. My faith has to be bigger than that. Your faith has to be bigger than that. Your faith has to be bigger than, a, than, than the promises. Your faith in him has to be the, the greatest thing of all. You're enough, God. You're enough. Yes, I want a baby. Yes, I want to hold this little girl that you've promised me in my arms. But God, you're enough. And even if you don't, I'll remain faithful to you. And then this last point, though. There is such a reward for your faith. More than you could ever fathom. Hebrews 11.31 says this about Rahab. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she welcomed the spies with shalom. By faith, she does this. You know, it's amazing if you go back and you read at Hebrews 11 in the hall of faith, it goes from Moses, skips Joshua, and immediately into Rahab. She, this, this small character in the Bible, you probably have read that and been like, wait, who's Rahab again, right? We know Moses, we know Abraham, we know Sarah. But Rahab? It's because she had enough faith, church, to stand. God did not come and speak to her, right? Abraham has this like God moment. Moses gets to literally go up to a mountain and have conversations with God, okay? Like, I'm just saying, that's not as impressive, right? But this Rahab... Didn't have that. And was willing to stand in her faith by what she heard. In fact, it's so amazing and so incredible because in the lineage of Jesus, do you know whose name you'll find? Rahab. God doesn't just fulfill, right? God doesn't just say, hey, I'm going to make it better. I'll replace. No, God gives you more than you could ever imagine. Because the promise to Rahab was, I'll spare you. And yet her reward is, she is the first Gentile to be welcomed into God's family. They don't abandon her. She is, Jesus is a direct descendant of this woman. They welcome her in. Jesus doesn't just go, all right. No. For those who are willing to fight, to stand. Timothy, in Timothy, Paul tells us, I've, I've fought the good fight. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. And now what waits for me is a crown of righteousness. If you want to keep and fight the good fight, you need to have faith. So my story, right? I got to the end of that time and I just gave it all to God. When it's going to happen and how it's going to happen, I give it to you. So that was... <laughs> I wrote that in August of 2018. Ivy, do you remember when your birthday is? Do you remember? When did you just have your birthday? Um. Is it August? August. And how old did you turn? Three. You turned three? So she was born the week to the day that God gave me that promise. Can you tell everybody your name? Um. What's your name? 
So as we come to the close, I bring her up on stage because she's really cute. <laughs> but maybe you're in this room and you needed a physical, tangible reminder that God is faithful. Because he writes in that promise to me, she will be a representation of faithfulness. And the older she gets and the more she grows, I recognize that's not just for me. Her story and her life is not just a, a representation of God's faithful to, faithfulness to me. This is a representation that God is faithful to you. Okay, you can go downstairs with daddy. God is faithful to you. And maybe this morning you needed a reminder let my daughter be a reminder to you that God doesn't just fulfill, God fulfills perfectly. Church to the week, I can show you the dates of when I wrote that and when that happened. She was born August 25th. And I, the night she was born, I held her in my arms and God said, oh, I'm a promise keeper. I fulfill everything I've promised. I wanted a daughter long before I wanted boys, which I'm so grateful that God gave me boys. And I think if we had, we have four, we have three boys. I think if I continued to have children, we're done. I think they'd all be boys. But that little one, that little girl, hmm. He doesn't just come and make it okay. He comes and he redeems what's been stolen. And sometimes I still think about that miscarriage. It's like sometimes that, that was hard. And every time I do, <clears throat> I go and I grab that little girl and I remind myself, God, you're so faithful. Or when we're going through hard things, JJ last year went through a really hard season. He's talked about a little bit of this, just his emotions and just struggling with fear and anxiety. And I would say, JJ, look at your daughter. Look at how God is faithful. And you may not feel it right now and you may feel like it's silent church, but look at Ivory. God is faithful. And he's not just faithful to me, he's faithful to you. He is a faithful God. And this has gone this morning in a very different direction, and I thought I was going to be 30 minutes and done. But church, God is doing something right now. God wants to come, and he wants to bring you hope. And maybe you came today, and this was the end of your rope. Maybe you are sitting there and your heart's hard and it's, it's calloused and, and you go, yeah, whatever. That's just a happenstance. Yeah, you can think like that. That's fine. But I think that says more about where your faith is at than anything else. And you know what? God's response to that isn't like, well, forget about it. You're too far gone. You know what Romans tells us? Abraham never faltered in his faith. And yet we know that Abraham definitely wavered in his faith, don't we? God's mercy is new for today. It's new for right now. What Rebecca said is true at the beginning of this. Your expectation and your level of faith, he's calling us to a new place right now. He's asking you. It's an invitation. I felt like that when I was worshiping this morning. There's an invitation. It's not a requirement. It's not a forced thing. You don't have to do it. This isn't going to mess up your salvation. But there is an invitation to go deeper with him. 
There is an invitation to allow your faith to grow. And no, I'm not promising you that that just means it's all going to be really easy. That is the wrong mentality to have. If your whole and greatest thing in life is to avoid pain, can I encourage you right now that you're doing it wrong? Because as Paul tells us, I just kept thinking of this over and over and over over the last 48 hours. I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. And I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. And I just kept thinking over and over, God, that's what I want, Jesus. That's what I want. More than wanting to be a good mom, which I do, I desperately want to be a good mom to the children God has given me. And more than wanting to be a great wife and more than wanting to be a good teacher, this means nothing, nothing in comparison to wanting to finish my race well. At the end of all of it, that he would tell me, you kept the faith. You kept the faith. The smile on his face when he sees us standing tall, standing firm, being hit by waves but not being moved. So if you would close your eyes right now. I feel like I'm supposed to ask you. Maybe you're in a place where you've given up. Maybe you're in a place where you're just comfortable and you're coasting. But when I talk about that invitation or when Rebecca talked about that invitation and you feel a stirring right now, I want to ask you to stand up with me and to be bold enough Because here's the thing, if you can't even stand, I mean, when the waves and and the wind and the storm may come, I just feel like it's a representation right now of what you're willing to do and, and that level of faith rising inside you of asking God, I want for more. So would you stand right now? If you're like, I need more faith. I need more faith. I know you speak, God. Maybe you're recognizing, I'm not standing the way I need to stand. I'm not walking this out the way you've called me to walk it out. His mercy is new for today. So right now, Father God, Your presence is in this room. Maybe you need faith right now for a marriage that just seems like it's failed and there's no hope going back. Oh, church, there's hope. His name is Jesus. Maybe it's for a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. And you need to be reminded right now. Have faith in what God's promised that child and over that child. You are the person right now that can do it. You are the only person right now that will do it. Maybe it's healing. Maybe for healing, you've just been so afraid to even ask because of what happens when you're disappointed or what happens when I don't get healed or what what happens. (sighs) Can I ask on the other side what happens if it does happen? Maybe it's your finances. Maybe you're holding on so tight. You know what faith does? It causes us to give up control. 
to instead hold on so tightly, which is not, we weren't called and we weren't meant to carry the weight. This, if that's you right now, hold out your hands. Give it to him. Release it to him. What do you want to do? What do you want to speak? I'll hold on to it. So God, right now in all the places that this church is holding on to faith, God, I pray right now that you would help be a firm foundation, God, that you would remind them you are a faithful God. You are a provider. You are great enough to do the impossible. You are enough. You are enough. And God, I pray while they're standing and while they're fighting and while they're walking this race, God, I pray that the miracles would break out over this people right now, Jesus. God, I pray for the breakthrough right now. I really, I'm sorry I'm taking so long in this, but I feel like there's a breakthrough that God wants to do right now in this moment, right now in this place. God, that breakthrough would fall on your people for those who stood and for those who need a miracle that this is it. This is all they have. This is everything. This is everything. There is nothing left to do. There is no fighting it. There is nothing else in their control. God, that they need a breakthrough. They need the healing. in their marriage and in their family and in their finances and in their job, in their calling. Maybe you've given up on a calling and you know you were called and right now you feel a little uncomfortable because God is speaking to you right now and it changes everything, right? It changes the career path you're on. It changes what your life looks like. It impacts everything and God is asking you right now, are you not willing to stand in enough faith that I will provide if I called you to it? Oh God, you're so good. You are so unbelievably, all powerfully faithful to us, Jesus. Oh, you are so good. Would you just say with me really quick, you are faithful. Jesus, 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 come and touch this room. Come and breathe on them. I believe out of this time and out of this moment, there are going to be testimonies. Please email me. I know it. I feel it. Share your story. God wants to build faith in others with what's happened in your faith. So God, I give you this time and I give you this moment and I thank you. I thank you so much. How sweet it is to serve you, Jesus. We can't go back, church. It's only forward. Thank you, Father God. In your name, that is good, that is wonderful, that is powerful, power to heal, power to redeem. In your name, amen.